I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science as we invite a new expert every week to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. And I've got to say, this week, you being a doctor, not a real doctor, is actually relevant. Yeah, it is relevant this week because um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to bring you some proper physics, hopefully. <laughs> okay, how hopeful are you? Well, no, I'm, I, I'm sort of quite hopeful, but it's quite can be quite seen as quite speculative, I guess is what I want to say. Okay, is this idle sort of, um, is this going to be like pub chat? <laughs> Not quite. I mean, it, it's the cutting edge of science, right? Okay. So, so we are answering a question uh, that was put, put to us on Twitter because we ask our listeners to, yeah, to yeah, give yeah, us, yeah, uh, give yeah. us ideas for, for what they want to know. And if we decide it's interesting, then we'll, <laughs> we'll look at the question. <laughs> so this is from Darren, whose yeah. handle is at Sept Child. Presume yeah. that's September. Mm-hmm. Uh, Happy birthday. I bet the universe is is basically going to make this your birthday, Darren. I bet we're recording this on your birthday because that's how the universe works, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, Darren's question is, what's beyond the edge of the universe? Oh, I like that. And I feel like we've talked about this before, maybe not on the on, on the show, but you will tend to come up with... Some some shit like well that's like asking what's north of the North Pole, um, and uh, you'll also say I'm just going to predict some stuff that you'll say. You'll say you don't have any time before time began. So yeah, we have no talked about this before. before <laughs> there is no before the universe. Um, but those things so, are true. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But so, I just I've heard them so often, <laughs> and, and they're frustrating. They feel like a sort of uh, they feel like a cheat. They feel like a get out even if they are true. Are you going to give me a, a slightly more sensible answer? Um, well, uh, it depends what you call sensible, obviously, uh, but I'm going to try. Thank you. Most of us spend most of our time thinking about ourselves. Instead, why not first think about the world? Then think about the other 100 billion planets in our own galaxy. And then get your head around an estimated 2 trillion galaxies spread across the universe. You should be feeling small now. The vastness of the universe seems incomprehensible to most, with not much knowledge as to what might be out there at its edges, or what it's even expanding into. But what about in other universes? What about multiverses? If there are an infinite number of alternative worlds, is there one where, for example, I am a well-respected quantum physicist, and Michael Brooks is a uh, radio presenter? (laughs) Sounds all right. To hopefully put Brooksy's mind at rest, this week we're asking, what's beyond the edge of the universe? I'm harbouring a slight fear that you're going to tell me that you have designated yourself today's expert. It's not implausible, is it? No, not at all. I, I do like to think I have a certain uh, a certain depth of knowledge about some of these things. No, I'm not. Uh, I, I thought about it, but... Basically, we've got somebody who's a bit better at this than me, and uh, spot for choice, <laughs> and has actually researched it. Uh, so we've got Professor Laura Massini Houghton, who's a professor of theoretical physics and cosmology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Uh, she's got a new book out, which I have read. Congratulations! Uh, it's called "Before the Big Bang: The Origin of Our Universe from the Multiverse," and it's actually a really good read. Did you get paid to read it? 
yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I did review it. Did you so, give it a good review? I did give it a good review. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think it's really interesting. It's kind of provocative. And uh, and she's, yeah, I think this kind of area, like, you know, thinking, just asking that question, what's beyond the edge of the universe? And what she's doing, which is sort of relevant to that question, which is looking at whether there's multiverses sort of, you know, outside of our universe, yeah, a, a range yeah. of other things. I think that's an amazing thing to be thinking about. When, you know, I've always said, like, we're just primates. Yeah, and we have sort of bigger brains than than the primates generally, but they're not like yeah, you know yeah. ridiculous. And we're able to sort of have these thoughts and conversations about you know where the entire universe came from. And I just find that amazing. It is amazing. I still think that we're just going to get into the classic situation where you're very sceptical about what the experts say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. I've definitely got doubts. It's healthy to have doubts, right? I, yes. I think. And these are obviously experts, but I think it's important to say, you know, there's some holes in this argument or this mm -hmm. comes from mm -hmm. a place mm -hmm. where, you know, you should know certain things about it. So I reserve the right to be sceptical. Yeah. And, and I mean, we've been doing cosmology for quite a long time and we're sort of, I guess we're getting there, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, every ancient culture has sort of done a kind of cosmology. Yeah. So, you know, whether it's the Chinese, Indian cultures, Babylonian cultures, um, they've all had a sense of like, let's try and put together a model of what the universe looks like or what we think it, mm -hmm. it is and how big it is and what shape it is and all that kind of stuff. But actually, you know, we are now in this age where we can use astronomical observations so people talk about us being in a golden age of cosmology at the moment. And it's really only in the last hundred years. And you think, you know, humans have been around, or civilizations have certainly been around for sort of, you know, 4,000 years, 6,000 years, quite complex civilizations mm. with astronomy, you know, with sort of ideas of cosmology. But literally just the last hundred years, we've started to really nail this down now. And uh, so like 1920, uh, astronomers thought that, that, the stars of the Milky Way were like the entire universe. So you look up, you see the Milky Way, you say, that's the full extent of the universe. And then within like a few years of that, so uh, Edwin Hubble worked out that Andromeda was a separate galaxy and it was sort of you know distant. Yeah. And then people started to understand that actually those galaxies were moving away from us. So observations told us that, that the universe was effectively expanding and these things were you know millions of light years away, expanding away from us. And then people said, oh, if they're expanding away, that must mean they were closer. Mm -hmm. So you sort of extrapolate backwards and you say there must have been a sort of big bang event, mm -hmm. which, you know, wasn't know accepted at first, but is, you know, is now accepted. We know that they're, they're moving away from our galaxy because of Doppler shift. Yeah. So everything's yeah. redshifted, isn't yeah. it, right? Yeah. So you can see that it's redshifted um, and... And, and you can sort of work out how fast they're moving away. Mm -hmm. And of course, initially, everyone thought that like, well, gravity, the pull of everything on everything else will be slowing that expansion down. So eventually it'll come to a halt. But actually, no, in the, no, no. Uh, in the last few years, we have learned that something is making the expansion speed up. And we have no idea what that is. It's quite spicy. It is, it's mad. Mm. I mean, if it's so mad that I know some physicists who say that must be it wrong it can't be true can't be true must have got the measurements wrong or made some wrong assumptions somewhere down the line but but you know we've called this thing dark energy that's sort of accelerating the expansion of the universe mm. no idea what's what it is or where it comes from i love from. that kind of fudge it's, it's uh, <laughs> just like well we think that's dark yeah. energy yeah yeah it's definitely like, dark energy okay and what do we think that is well we don't know. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know, but it's it's making this happen. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. there it, we it's, are. It's quite cool. I mean, and it's already won a Nobel Prize, which I know a few people were like, "No, surely not." But you know, it seems to be quite a solid observation that the universe's expansion is. Hang on, the, the, the Nobel Prize was for the observation that the universe is expanding. No, no, that, it, for... that it's accelerating. Oh, dark, no, sorry, dark the, energy. The, 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 it's accelerating, yeah. but for. With, with the dark energy element. Yeah, yeah. That is bizarre. I mean, it was quite because fast. What, what is it that you're winning a Nobel Prize? Just sort of... Well, for observations that... Come out of quite a good name. Dark energy is yeah, quite a good yeah, name. Yeah, it's a Nobel Prize for dark energy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Nobel Prize for naming something that we don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. But um, so we do know quite a lot about... Although, you know, we don't know what the... Like, there's the dark matter, which is the stuff that fills 
the universe, mm-hmm. which is most of the universe, which we don't know what it is. And we've been looking for Brilliant. it for like 60 odd years now. Um, but, you know, we'll, I'm sure it'll turn up at some point. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> <laughs> but we do know from sort of observations that we've got basically some basic facts about the universe and its history. Go we, on know, we know that it's 13.8 billion years old. Yeah. And it's so unimaginably huge, right? So, mm. so the diameter of the observable universe is 92 billion light years. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, big, and we know that, you know, there's probably well, more than we can see. What do we mean by observable universe, please? So the universe expansion is accelerating, which mm-hmm. means some of it's moving away faster than the speed of light. So, so we'll we never, can never see it. Never see it. Yeah. So observable is not the full extent of the universe, basically. Well, we don't think so. There's no reason why it should be. No. It'd be, so, it'd be a coincidence yeah. if we could just see to the edge, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And and is there an edge anyway? We'll get to that. Okay. So, um, fun fact. So, 10 to the minus 35 seconds after the Big Bang, mm-hmm. they think the universe was about 17 centimetres across. It's about the size of your head. Mm-hmm. And then when it's about a trillionth of a second old, the radius of the universe was the radius of the Earth to the Sun, so 93 million miles. So we've gone, you know, woo. Mm, it's putting on weight. Yeah, yeah. Quickly. <laughs> uh, when the universe was one year old, its temperature was more than 2 million Kelvin. So it's mm-hmm. now 2.7 Kelvin. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's got co- cooler. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, finally, the, the diameter of the Milky Way is 100,000 light years, right? And that is the uh, radius of the observable universe when it was about three years old. And the Milky Way... Our galaxy is is just a pretty bog standard. It's not a big galaxy, unremarkable, not a small galaxy. Yeah. It's just yeah. like just a galaxy. Yeah, yeah, run of the mill stuff. Yeah, mm. and and it's quite cool to know that, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's all it's yeah, it's quite um, well, it's quite hard to get your head around. It's also quite humbling, isn't it? I like, think so. It does mean that literally nothing matters. That's always my I mean, yeah, yeah, like, I mean, well, yeah, yeah that's one way of looking yeah. at it. I mean, I, I actually it's all irrelevant because because <laughs> I really like this stuff. I actually think isn't that amazing that we can know that that like you know know that our galaxy is yeah. is kind of humdrum, sort yeah. of ordinary. Okay, so you mentioned the Big Bang and, and the fact that we can kind of figure out that it must have started with something like that. Yeah, have we got any idea what triggered the Big Bang in the first place? Well, not really what triggered the Big Bang, but we have quite a good picture of what happened after the Big Bang. Okay. So, so we can. So we've got this thing called the cosmic microwave background radiation, yeah. CMB, mm-hmm. and um, it basically is like a, a sort of fossil of the universe at the Big Bang. So, so it's a sea of photons, a sea of radiation that has some of the sort of characteristics of the early universe sort of imprinted onto it. And we're able to read that using our telescope. So you can look at this stuff and say, yeah. okay, you know, we can see like this bit is like this and this bit is like that. And that bit's different to that bit, but in a particular way. And so um, you, you get this and it was formed sort of about 400,000 years after the Big Bang. So it's quite close to the yeah. beginning, really. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. sort of read all of that stuff. And, and that sort of allows us to make inferences about what the early universe was like and crucially, you know, what the extent of the universe might be and what might lie beyond it. So I'll let Professor Laura explain. The uh, main theory that describes what we see in our universe at present goes under the name of cosmic inflation. And uh, the, the story there is that uh, the universe started uh, as a very small but very smooth patch of space-time uh, full of energies and that energy made it go through a bank through an explosion that uh, drove the, the accelerated expansion the, the fast growth of the universe and uh, as, it, as the universe continued expanding then uh, all the primordial fluctuations in that uh, initial energy, in the energy of inflation, they, as the universe grows, uh, the temperature drops, the, the whole universe cools down, and uh, those initial fluctuations will uh, condense under their own weight and uh, create all the structure that we see at present, galaxies, stars, light, any kind of radiation. And uh, in, in that sense, 
the leftover radiation from that earliest moment, known as the cosmic microwave background, is our treasure trove for testing all our uh, theories of cosmology of the universe. Now. We know, uh, based on the combination of, of the theory of Big Bang and, and uh, uh, these observations of the CMB and the structure, we know that uh, our universe is about 13.8 billion years old and um, it's, uh, it has an horizon uh, which is about 10 to the power 27 centimeters. That's 10 with 27 zeros behind it. Those are big numbers, but not outrageously big. We are familiar with numbers like millions and billions and trillions, so it's uh, completely reasonable for us as a human species and as scientists to ask but what was there before 13.8 billion years ago? How about 14 billion years ago or 15 billion years ago? Can I even ask that question, what was there before the universe came into existence and what lies beyond the horizon of our universe? I like the questions. Um, and I've already told you what I think your answers are. But let's talk about this idea of whether there is an edge of the universe, first of all. Yeah. So how, if there is one, how far away is it? Right, so first of all, there, there's no reason to think there would be an edge as such, because it's sort of like, mm. what would be beyond that edge? It's, it's, you know, we live in, the, it's really hard for our brains to deal with this, right? But, <laughs> but the fact is that we know from the, looking at the CMB that the, the space-time around us, the universe, the fabric of the universe, is what they call flat, which means that the geometry means that like two parallel light beams will stay parallel however far they travel and, and they don't have to, they won't meet, right? So it's sort of like, think of it like a piece of paper, but you can roll up a piece of paper mm. to the point where it's, it's, um, it's just a tube mm. and then you're travelling around the circumference of that tube and you'll never find an edge. Mm. And it, actually, it could be that the universe is like that or like a donut which doesn't have yeah. a boundary. So, so there's no reason to sort of feel like, you know, there, there must be an edge. Right, right. But if, if you think about the universe as a as a donut, for example, that doesn't mean that there's no such thing as beyond our universe because you could just have a whole sort of like pack of Krispy Kremes. <laughs> yeah, like a load like of donuts. A dozen box. Yeah. Yeah. Like loads of different universes all next to each other. Yeah, which sort of gives the, you know, a sense that there's some like higher dimension effectively. That you know, So we, we've got a four-dimensional universe, three dimensions of space, one of time. Mm -hmm. If it's sitting in next to another universe that implies it's sitting in something else like outside of space and time and we don't know what that mm, is because we've yeah. got no way of investigating it mm. so you can say yes you know maybe what we've got is one isolated donut and and we can't sort of look beyond that but you, you're right i mean you can imagine that like maybe there are other donuts yeah because i guess if you think about what professor laura was saying about this sort of little smooth pocket of space time with loads of energy in it and then exploding there's not really any particular reason to imagine that, that there would only be one of those is there no like, why, no, why would it, you not have loads of yeah like smooth in, energy yeah. balls yeah yeah waiting to yeah. explode into a into a universe yeah you could do it. so so that depends on this thing called um inflation theory right so so the idea is that you have this sort of this amount of energy contained within space that just then blows up really mm -hmm. fast, mm -hmm. and sort of alluded to this at the start when we talked about the size of the universe at different sort of yeah. moments, um, and the sort of main main accepted theory in physics or in cosmology at the moment is that you had a big bang and then you had this little epoch of inflation where this energy just took over and blew the universe up from being like incredibly small to incredibly big really mm -hmm. quickly mm -hmm. and the reason people believe that happened is because you have uh, certain things that we observe like in the cosmic microwave background like for instance we observe that almost all of the universe is at pretty much the same temperature and yeah. that means that somehow it reached thermal equilibrium with each other. So it's like, you know, you put a cup of, cup of coffee in a room and the coffee eventually becomes room temperature because everything equals out. Mm. And 
if you have like this enormous universe that we've got now, there's no way there's, there's the time available, the 13.8 years, million, billion years, doesn't give you enough time for that equilibrium to be reached unless it was all much more compact uh, early on. So you, you had it all very much more in thermal contact because it was small and then it suddenly blew up after you reached, after everything reached the same temperature. So this is called the horizon problem and it basically allows you to sort of say, okay, if we have that, then we can understand why everything's the same temperature now and without that, it's quite difficult. And the other thing is the flatness of the universe. So, so we see that it, it has this flat geometry from the CMB. And actually that flatness sort of is accounted for by this sort of huge expansion. Like you had a sort of wrinkled up, scrunched up piece of paper that just sort of got flattened out really, mm. um, really fast. And so people think that there was this era of inflation, but nobody knows where the energy for it comes from. So it's okay. sort of like, um, a bit like you've deferred the problems. Like, you know, we can solve the flatness problem and the horizon problem by saying we have this incredible sort of sudden expansion. And then some smart aleck at the back of the room says, so what caused that then? Mm. And why did it suddenly stop? And the answer is, we don't really know. It fits with our model. Yes, kind we, of. We, we need that. Yeah, <laughs> Otherwise yeah. our model doesn't work. Yeah, so it's, you know, Although it's the accepted sort of thing. So the, the accepted thing in cosmology is Big Bang plus inflation, right? And you and that sort of solves mm. most of the problems that we have. We don't know... Does everyone accept it? No, no, not mm. at all. And it's sort of, it is a, a subject of sort of massive contention amongst the kinds of people who, who you know, want to ask difficult questions about it. Lots of people just like, well, you know, it sort of works. And, you know, we've got inflationary models that sort of account for for this happening, but they can't account for where the energy comes from. And to be honest, there's a, like a gazillion different models for inflation that starts at this point, stops at this point. Nobody knows why it stops. You know, maybe there's a thing that and, stops and it. And literally, you know. these are all just ways of trying desperately to fit with the data, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, 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 definitely. And that's not a good, I mean, it's not a, good it's look, not a great it? way of doing it. It's kind of, so why have you done that? Uh, it seems to work. It does seem to work. And, and you get this sort of, you know, so the guy who originally came up with it is a guy called Alan Guth. Um, and, you know, he's had, you know, decades and decades of, of, I think it was like 19, I want to say 1997 when he came up with it, or maybe even earlier. And, you know, and it's still, you know, contentious now, sort of, you know, 25 years later, or mm. at least. You know, and, and people are still saying, I'm not having this. You know, really eminent people saying, you know, no, no, there must be another way of explaining the, why the universe is like it is. Because at the moment, you're just pulling this inflation shit out of a hat. Yeah. It's a sign that I've spent too much time with you that I um, immediately recognise the name Alan Cooth as well. I'm like, yeah, I've definitely <laughs> heard this probably guy. probably because I, I sat behind him at an awards ceremony once. Oh, God, it is this. Yeah, yeah it's an and, anecdote. And he, and he <laughs> it was an awards ceremony for which he was given, I think it was like a cheque for a million dollars for this breakthrough in inverted commas. Yeah. And, uh, and Morgan Freeman was doing the presentation and uh, Alan Guth, he obviously maybe just arrived on the plane or over from America because this was in Geneva, and he just fell asleep. He, he just, <laughs> I was sat behind him, and he just nodded off. Do you want your million quid out? <laughs> that was funny. That was, um, and then the autocue broke, and Morgan Freeman refused to carry on. Like he had the paper notes. He's like, "I'm not doing this. Uh, I'll wait I for the autocue to be didn't fixed." Have the right. He probably didn't have his glasses with him. That oh, is maybe. a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, I very much enjoyed that. And then there was a, a performance from Sarah Brightman as well. It's just extraordinary evening. Yeah, that's a mad evening. I wonder how much Morgan Freeman... Morgan Freeman probably got quite a lot of money for that. He would have got a lot. I mean, the whole yeah. thing was being financed by a Russian billionaire. So, um, Is this all... Is this Yuri Milner. Breakthrough. Yeah, breakthrough. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, that guy's got plenty of cash. Yeah, he was all right. Come on, it. Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm going to need to take a quick break, I think, uh, just for my poor little brain. Uh, but when we get back, we'll be discussing the multiverse, string theory, and of course, our big question, what is beyond the edge of the universe? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, let's go back to what we're, we're supposed to be talking about, which is, or what I want to talk about, where might the, all of this energy that we need to account for inflation have come from? So this is where Laura started her sort of investigations. I was uh, uh, interested in, in that uh, assumption that cosmic inflation makes, which is uh, we start with a small and smooth patch of space uh, full of high energies. So I wanted to, to find out uh, how, how strong uh, that assumption is and where did that initial energy come from. The reason for, for my curiosity there was twofold. First, inflation starts its story at 13.8 billion years ago by putting that energy by hand. So. It's not a complete story. It tells us what happened 13 billion years ago to present day, but it doesn't tell us what happened before that. So I was interested in, in understanding the, the completed story of inflation, and that meant I was curious on, on what gave that initial energy that started inflation. But another uh, big factor that drove my curiosity was um, uh, Sir Roger Spenrose estimate in the 70s, what is the chance to start a universe small but with lots of energy? And he found that that chance of uh, starting a universe with cosmic inflation like uh, we think ours did was practically zero. So that's the most unnatural way of starting a universe. And then that made me curious. I wanted to understand why did our universe have to start with the most unlikely way a universe can start with? That led me to, to the theory of a, a quantum multiverse. Oh, quantum multiverse. Oh, hello. Uh, Brooksy, immediately, boner. <laughs> um, so, I've got a question that I don't think you'll be able to answer, so I'm quite oh, you, pleased with it. Look at the smugness on that face. Now, what does it mean? to say that something is incredibly unlikely or has zero chance of happening if you don't have time. Because the standard way of thinking about something being very unlikely is you could do this forever and it would never happen. Yeah. But without time, what's the... Yeah. Okay, I mean, this, it's a good question, obviously. Yeah, because it is what you're saying is it's improbable it's going to happen, which means it's a rare event and rare, rare by definition rare means has, that you have time. You have to have right. time for it to be yeah. rare, and if you don't have time, then it it sort of feels meaningless. Yeah, and I have a huge problem with the whole way that physics sort of deals with this because they talk about like having a universe that's got high entropy. It's like un unlikely. To start with high entropy, surely it should start with low entropy, uh, because high entropy sort of is is an unusual state. 
but but entropy itself, the whole definition of it does involve time and, and sort of involves assumptions, hidden assumptions about how things happen. Yeah, you, you might have to sort of briefly um, explain entropy. I mean, entropy is so, entropy, sort of disorder. Yeah, a measure of disorder. And everything moves and towards like... More entropy. More so entropy. More disorder. More disorder. And, and so, so what we're so talking starting about... starting with a starting lot right, of entropy uh, is... It, it seems guess, unlikely, yeah. right? Is is the whole thing, mm. and um, and you know she goes into this in her book, and it, it's sort of it, it's sort of the standard way that physicists think about how time began and how the universe began and how our universe had to have a a high entropy start when you sort of think how does it get to that point? Um, sorry, low entropy start, and and mm. and you know which is you know unlikely. But essentially, we're dealing with stuff where you're just sort of waving your hands at it and, and sort of trying to say what what mm. might it have looked like, you know, given the assumptions about, you know, the laws of thermodynamics and everything else. And it's really complicated. And and yeah. I think when you start to deal with this and on a daily basis and you're researching it, you start to get a feel for, oh, that doesn't seem right, that, you know, I, I need to start my mathematical model with something that I don't know how it would have got there in the first place, is what they're trying to do. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's, I want to say it's sort of almost, I've never found a good way to describe it and get into it and really sort of find it satisfying to Mm. explain. But it just feels like it's being retrofitted, doesn't it? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Just desperately trying to crowbar. Yeah, but you've got to try. You've got to do something. Yeah, which which, fair enough, I suppose. So what they're doing, and and Roger Penrose is no, he's no slouch. Right, I'm not yeah. slagging off Penrose, <laughs> <laughs> or am I? <laughs> I think you might be, and uh, I might join you. But um, yeah, uh, it's, it, the point is that lots of people have thought about this for a lot, a lot of time, and and there are sort of certain things that don't seem to work. And what what Professor Laura is saying is like she she decided that you know she wanted to attack this head on mm. and say you know actually You've got to respect that. It, I'm going to going to look at this problem we've got of why our universe is so unlikely and see if I can solve it with something that seems to apply, which is, you know, we're talking about something that's incredibly small at the beginning. So, so maybe you apply quantum laws to it and then, doing, 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 doing. <laughs> and then maybe you can actually sort of see a way through it. So how does Laura then make this leap to deciding that we live in a, in a quantum multiverse or is that the leap that she's made? All right, so let me start by sort of defining what this multiverse is, because people have yes, heard please. of lots of different kinds of multiverse. Yes. So there's the, um, and actually, I, I didn't really realise this, but people have been talking about multiverses since Babylonian and Greek times. There being lots of different universes, and ours just, ours just being one of them. Mm. Uh, and and in in sort of the Middle Ages, there was a scholar called Robert Grossetest who, who sort of came up with an argument saying, you know, there could be lots of different universes, and ours is and ours is just one of those. And the Pope sort of said, no, nah, we're not having that. Ban, banned all his writings. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, uh, so so basically, you know, we've sort of been thinking in those terms, but the one that gets talked about the most these days is the quantum sort of many worlds multiverse, mm. where you have quantum physics, which says that things exist or seem to exist in these multiple states at once or do multiple different things at once. And the the way that we sort of solve that in terms of understanding how our universe comes to be is we say, oh, there's one universe where the electron goes left and there's one universe where the electron goes right. And therefore you've got two different universes. And you, this happens with every single quantum if, event. Yeah, so then you're just branching and branching and branching and branching and yeah. branching until you've effectively got an infinite number. Yeah, of, so you've got a yeah. near infinite near number infinite, of sorry, yeah. of. of worlds yeah. with you know and some people will say with you know near infinite number of copies of us sort of in in those worlds yes really sort of strange way of thinking but you know like david deutsch who by the way has just won a, his own million dollar breakthrough prize did he fall asleep uh he hasn't been to the ceremony yet it's literally just well, been announced i well, think let's, today let's wait and see <laughs> what did he win it for uh for coming up with uh i think uh, multiverse ideas actually is this money for our rope? So we need to get on this. <laughs> Yuri, Yuri. <laughs> Listen, Yuri. No, I've not got a lot of mass to back it up. Uh... <laughs> but David Deutsch firmly believes in, in the quantum multiverse, in these idea of these myriad mm, different worlds. Mm, mm. And he, he thinks there's more evidence or more reason to believe that than there is to believe that the dinosaurs existed. So he's sort of on record as basically saying, this definitely is how it is. There's definitely right. not more evidence he can't be saying that. He kind of is. He cannot. Well, there's literally zero evidence 
Yeah. He's got zero evidence. Yeah. Except in the maths, he says. Yeah, he, that, yeah that's, yeah, that's yeah. not the same. Yeah, anyway. So that's that's one sort of type of multiverse. And then you've got this cosmological multiverse. And we sort of alluded to this earlier. So you said, like, if you've got all this inflation, maybe it's all going on all the time. Mm. And so you've got this energy, uh, which is sort of blowing up space-time. And, and so the idea is that you get a multiverse from the fact that you know, in our universe, there's a little region of space-time that's got a little bit of energy and it's just blowing up and budding off into another new universe. Mm. And so you get all these different universes form uh, just from this cosmic inflation energy, yeah. if it exists. Yeah. Um, and so then you get a multiverse from that. Uh, there's also, I mean, Roger Penrose has this idea that you can get the seeds of new universes out of sort of the remnants of black holes, effectively, or or some kind of event uh, where you get a collapse of our universe and then, you know, a new the universe. The big crunch. The big crunch. And, and, and it explodes into a new Big Bang. Mm. And so you've effectively got this sort of succession of universes. Mm. That's a sort of slightly different idea. But he thinks... That's that, sort of gone out of fashion, the Big Crunch idea, isn't it? Well, no, it's, it's sort of... It's, it's, still, it's still around? Sort of still around. Yeah. And Penrose is now saying that he thinks he's seen evidence of these other universes in the cosmic microwave background radiation. So he's put he's put out papers in the last couple of years that suggest that, that you know, there are certain sort of scars... Mm. visible in the fabric of our universe uh, through the cosmic microwave background and you can see this so, so he's still on it I'll tell you the big news for me there is I thought he was dead oh really yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I thought that he's just turned 91 I interviewed oh. him like, yeah uh, of course you did about yeah, a month did. ago did. I, did, did. Uh, I did an interview with him at Oxford and okay. uh, he was alive then I mean I hope Barely. I, I hope I didn't yeah. kill him <laughs> Um, um, so and still working, wow. Yeah, still working. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not bad, is it? Is, is, there, a, is there a sort of um, just a really simple version of, of the multiverse where it's just um, that effectively the multiverse is contained within one universe. Our universe is effectively infinite in size and therefore you're just going to find repeats of everything, yeah. So you, somewhere. so you get the same arrangement of atoms, yeah, 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 yeah. somewhere else yeah. because that's going to happen. So it's just mathematically, if you're yeah. in an infinite space, yeah, then you would. So you, effectively, you get a copy of you, yeah. If if you're far enough away, yeah, because because you'll get every sort of yeah. formation repeating. But itself. also, there'd be an infinite number of other you. I mean, it's it's a it's a head fucker. Yeah, it? it is. But you know what I mean? Just like a sort of brute size. Yeah. Sort of argument for multiverse yeah. is quite yeah. interesting. Yeah. So it's a different it's a different kind of multiverse, isn't it? Because yeah. it's the contents that are sort of replicating in yes. some ways. Within one yeah. universe, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And then the other kind of multiverse, and this is relevant to, to what we're going to talk about, it's called the string landscape universe. Where when you're doing string theory, which is a kind of you know theory of of uh, that ties together quantum and, and gravity, uh, then you get different sort of mathematical solutions to your equations. And and they're basically saying they get sort of <laughs> they get solutions that correspond to lots of different universes, mm. and there might be as many as ten to the five hundred of those universes of those different solutions. Right, and and maybe they all exist, mm. and maybe they're all out there because you know the math says that they're all possible, so maybe they're there. Is string theory the one where you have to sort of assume that there's a load of dimensions that we can't see that are all sort of balled up somewhere? <laughs> yeah, balled up, uh, compactified, they call it. Yeah, well, I'm going with balled up, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the idea is that you have sort of seven or eight dimensions that we can't see or mm -hmm. interact with. It's convenient. But that's what makes the maths work. Yeah. And maybe there are. Maybe there are. Stop fudging your maths, guys. Yeah. And uh, so the idea is that everything sort of comes from these strings, which are sort of vibrating bits of energy. And they vibrate in one way, and it's a photon, and, and another way, and it's an electron. And, you know, you, so you put this all together, and you can create a kind of, you know, a model of our universe, effectively. Mm. Um, and Laura's multiverse fits in uh, with this kind of string landscape idea. Since our universe is very small at the beginning, we know that experimentally our universe has been expanding, so it must have started very small to reach the, the size it has today. Um, since our universe was very small, then uh, it must have been a quantum object. Now in quantum mechanics, one can think of a particle as a wave, as a wave packet instead of a particle. It's something that's that is known as wave-particle duality. So I thought, okay, I will think of the universe that at uh, its earliest moments, rather than an object, 
outing of these waves, and that goes under the name a wave function of the universe. I was lucky because when I was interested in studying this question of the early universe and what was there before the Big Bang, uh, string theory, that is the leading theory, the leading candidate for that underlying theory of nature, of, of uh, quantum gravity, uh, string theory had ended up predicting a whole field of energies, a whole landscape of possible energies to start the universe from. Well, I'm not going to lie. I think I'm getting a bit lost now. Putting it as simply as I can. Yes, please. She basically says, okay, so the universe starts out very small. Yeah. It's a quantum object. A quantum yeah. object, you can't define it as being a wave or a particle. It's, it's sort of something in between. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what you have in her sort of scheme of it is a load of overlapping quantum waves. Mm-hmm which are all the possibilities, all the possible energies of the universe. Mm -hmm. And and so she says, basically, you know, these create or they, they seed uh, different loads and loads of different universes, which are all, because they're sort of over, these overlapping waves, they entangle together. So they, she invokes quantum entanglement where, you know, you can't define this quantum object is separate from that one. Yeah. Actually, they sort of affect each other. Mm -hmm. and, and we know this is real. We know this happens. We yeah, do yeah, experiments yeah, yeah. Uh, that prove this sort of weird action mm. that Einstein sort of referred spooky to. Spooky action at a spooky distance. Spooky action at a distance. Um, and what she has done is come up with a scheme using sort of standard quantum mechanics where you take all of these different energies that you find in string theory and you you create lots of different universes with them, all with different energies. And they effectively then separate off from each other, but the entanglement between them sort of leaves a scar on mm. on the sort of skin of the universe, on the fabric of the universe. Mm. And then you can see what kind of properties that scar would have. And if that scar is real, then you would see it or some evidence of it on the cosmic microwave background radiation. And do we? Yes. Ah. Yes, and okay. this is the so this is where my mind sort of got blown. Right, is that she made um, with her collaborators? Hmm. She sort of did all these calculations, worked out what this you know these separating universes, which all become isolated, isolated universes in a multiverse, but sort of entangled. They're sort of like entangled donuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. It's a nice image. Yeah. And then she's she said, you yeah, know, but what would you know, what would the imprint of one be on the other? Like with donuts, you, you know, when they bake next to each other, you pull them apart and you get a little scar on, yeah, on yeah, the outside. Yeah, it's yeah. the same kind of thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and she says, you yeah, know, this scar will be evidence on the cosmic microwave background. And she made seven predictions of like what these scars would look like. Yeah. The first one was that it would be a, a what what's called a giant void where there's a sort of gap in the in the CMB. It doesn't sort Oh, of, and there is, isn't there? And there is a giant void. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. And um and I think uh, out of the seven, she now has sort of tentative, suggestive evidence for six of the things that they predicted. They sort of see those as features of the cosmic microwave background. Now that doesn't mean they're caused by other multiverses. It just means there are these features which can be explained if mm. you invoke these other universes, called leaving scars on each other. Okay, so you so have to be quite careful about you know how. Yeah, you phrase yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. What what do other people? What do other cosmologists think about what she's saying? Do they buy it? There are people who find it interesting. And they're like, you know, so so a lot of the time with with stuff like this, what physicists do is say, oh, okay, hmm, can't can't necessarily sort of argue against it. It seems quite interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, let's wait and see what else sort of comes out of it. Other people come out all guns blazing and say, no, that's not true. You've made a false assumption here. And there are people who say, you know, that that isn't right. What she's claiming basically doesn't have any sort of, you know, she sort of misinterpreted the way entanglement works out mm. or, or, you know, the way a universe one would decouple from the other kind of thing. And and so there are people who are saying, no, that's not true. That can't be right. There are other people who are saying, um, well, it's interesting. I'm willing to sort of, you know, keep an open mind about it. Um, and, you know, Professor Laura herself says, well, you know, we we made six predictions or seven predictions, and six of them seem to have been borne out. So we're quite confident that we're on the right track. Mm. Um, I'm, What's I'm, happening with the seventh one? Do we know? Um, so, so that is to do with uh, something called the dark flow, 
which is a kind of movement of stuff through the universe, uh, which we kind of see some evidence of, but some people are saying it sort of come from some kind of telescope bias or some inherent bias in the instruments. So the jury's out on whether that's real, but right. there's certainly evidence for it, you know, if, if you want to believe it. So, mm. so I'm sort of sitting on the fence and sort of saying, well, you know, I, I don't know. Lots of people come out with outlandish things. You know, nobody rips into David Deutsch for his just, you know, believing in the, the multiverse more than the dinosaurs kind of thing. Well, I do, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but nobody, people respect his right to kind of have that opinion in yeah. physics, if yeah. you like. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to respect, you know, this as a sort of a valid way of exploring the mm. beginning of the universe. And and who knew we could like go back and look at what might be beyond the edge of our universe and, and all this stuff. You know, so you have to sort of give some latitude, I think, to yeah, 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 yeah. extrapolate. Even if it turns out to be wrong, even if it turns out to be you know fundamentally flawed, it's an interesting thing to look into. And nobody else has any answers. And, and I suppose the fact is that we are never going to be able to directly observe outside of our universe so you're only ever going to be looking for sort of indirect evidence like this aren't you yeah we're never going to be able to travel beyond our yeah. universe sort of by definition yeah yeah i mean one of my problems with it is is like it's based on string theory right which doesn't have any experimental support and i think string theory just seems like a bit of a grab in the dark in mm. terms of you know we just don't know like you say, you, you, you have to sort of account for the compactification of these dimensions. You know, we've got no way of testing it. Like if we, it, because it operates at such high energies, if we wanted a, a large Hadron Collider, but for string theory, you know, to sort of do mm. some experimental tests, it would have to be the size of a galaxy, basically, right. to get to the energies that we require. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Mm. Um, and so we're in a position where we're just sort Good of looking... Good for the string theorists. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, not, we would make it, but it's uh, yeah, it, yeah. The, the, the budget. <laughs> so, so you know, it depends what you want to say. And, and the fact is, string theory is our best option at the moment for unifying so far, quantum yeah. with gravity. But that doesn't mean it's right. It's just, you know, this is a, a long-term quest, really. And... If it turns out to be wrong, then Laura's kind of building her mm. model on something that's effectively wrong. But it doesn't mean that, you know, it's not worth doing, if you see what I mean. So I'm 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 backing her. Yeah. But I'm not putting all my money on her. I tell you what, it is a big old leap. That first leap, which is um so um the universe at the point of the Big Bang, so see very, very small. Um so we're just gonna say it's a quantum uh particle and then model it from there and you're like and then you model it using inflation saying oh it just blows yeah, up now don't know really why got, or how and now it's got huge yeah and then and we that, need a bit of string theory yeah like it's a sort of it's a bit of a grab bag of stuff it like, is well, a little this, bit. this maybe works at this point and then uh, you wave your hands a bit and then we and then it gets big <laughs> and then and then we take this from here and then that might work and it's sort of I don't know the phrase pinch of salt comes to mind yeah yeah yeah, but no, you know, nobody's so. sort of you know living or dying based on this. It's just well, no, interesting. no, it, it's effectively it's just a bit of fun. <laughs> like genuinely, <laughs> it's just like, well, what do we think? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Make make no difference. No. to anyone. No, but it does sort of give us at least some kind of way of saying. I wonder if we can answer the question: What lies beyond the edge of the universe? Yeah. The, uh, what did Laura say about this, by the way? Well, let's hear. Beyond the edge of our universe, beyond the horizon, there lies a uh, very beautiful, fascinating and intricate structure of the cosmos where our universe, in, in that vast picture of many universes and, and uh, many, many structures, uh, our universe occupies just a uh, very humble corner in, in that uh, vast cosmos. And uh, I don't find that... Uh, disturbing or, or surprising at all because uh, the, the way I look at that, uh, that view is a um, extension of the Copernican um, paradigm. We, we Not long ago we thought uh, our Earth is the center of the universe and our solar system and then we move to the galaxy and then we move to our universe being the it. The, the cosmos and now we are discovering that our uni universe is not at the center of the cosmos it's just one of many many other structures and uh, many other universes and uh, the, the whole ensemble makes 
understanding nature more intriguing and more beautiful. Absolutely love the confidence of saying, and now we're discovering that. <laughs> well, we're not, are we? <laughs> You're speculating wildly. <laughs> but I take but, a point. It's just like we just get increasingly less and less relevant. But there is some data, at least. You know, we're basing it on, you know, we're not just making stuff up like, you know, the Greeks would make stuff up or the Babylonians would make stuff up. We're, we're saying, what does it mean that we see this light coming into our telescopes? You know, mm-hmm. what does it, mm-hmm. how can we interpret that kind mm-hmm. of thing? So I think it's kind of, you know, it is interesting and it just blows my mind that we're able to do something like this. And maybe we're wrong. Maybe all our yeah. conclusions are wrong, but it's still worth doing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. But I, what's your best bet on? Um, so 500 years from now, people look back on this and talk about it in the same way and just go, well, obviously, they're just making stuff up. <laughs> like we're saying that about the Greeks. The Greeks and the Babylonians are just making stuff up. I think they'll say that about us. I think they might, yeah. I think it's yeah. quite likely. But have they got something better? That's what I'd like to ask them. That's the interesting thing. You sort of you, the you like to imagine science always likes to imagine that you're you're progressing and you're refining everything. You're sort of getting better and better and getting more and more knowledge. I don't know if that's always necessarily true. No, I don't think so. No, I, I, I'm not sure that we're sort of much better off in terms of this kind of stuff mm. than than we ever were. But we do have some, you know, technological tools yeah. that help us answer the question. Well, don't help us answer, help us come up with answers. We don't necessarily, yeah, yeah, they're not yeah. the right answers, but they're sort of, you know, good ideas. And also, I mean, let's not overlook the fact we're getting some absolutely lovely pictures out of the James Webb. Exactly. <laughs> it's really nice. They are nice. Do you see that one of Neptune? Yeah, sick. Eureka is a Stack production presented by Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The production team is Temi Adebayo, Katie Baxter, Luke Moore and Charlie Morgan. Sound designed by Katie Baxter. Special thanks to today's expert, Professor Laura Massini-Houghton. Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a massive difference. We also really love hearing from you guys. So if you have any burning questions you want us to answer, drop us an email at eureka at stack.london or you can find us, as always, on Twitter at EurekaPod. Eureka is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 